Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each week we meet and run down the news for all things that are in IT. Um, there might be a little bit of snarkiness involved as well. I am your host, Tom Hollingsworth. Joining me today is the captain of cloud, Mr. Ken Nalbone himself. Ken, thanks for joining us on the show. Pleasure to be with you, Tom. Awesome. And I hope you are enjoying a great National Vanilla Pudding Day. Not yet. I guess I'll have to do that after. After this you show. definitely should. Uh, vanilla pudding makes just about everything better. Uh, we are going to go ahead and get the uh, news for the week of May 20th kicked off with one of our favorite segments. That would be news or nah. So I hope you've got your rapid fire brain ready to go, Ken. Never, but I'll Never. give you my best. Here we go. All right. So starting off with news or nah, Microsoft and Sony have announced a partnership uh, last Thursday. Sony will use Microsoft Azure to stream games and media and offer game makers new development tools. Microsoft will also help Sony to develop new image sensors using Microsoft AI. Sony would rather partner with Microsoft, their sworn gaming console enemy, than use rival AWS for this. Ken, news or nah? Yes, it's news. For one thing you pointed out, you know, Sony and Microsoft working together on gaming. Uh, another reason, um, this basically blindsided the PlayStation team who had been working for years on standing up their own cloud service and had been having limited success, which means that wasn't working. And then here, here's another thing. They chose Azure over not only AWS, but also GCP when Google has recently announced their own uh, streaming gaming service that maybe they could have piggybacked on, but chose not to. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see Azure get another win and continue to grow in the middle of these cloud wars. Man, I'm telling you, first we get Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Smash Brothers, and now we're getting Sony PlayStation running on top of Microsoft Azure. Dogs and cats living together. Uh, moving on, speaking of Google, uh, Google disclosed that some enterprise G Suite users that uh, some of their passwords were stored in encrypted internal systems, unhashed, which really means plain text. Uh, in April, Google discovered this as part of an error with a password setting and recovery for its enterprise users Back in 2005, Google has removed the feature and there's no evidence that there was any improper access. Ken, news or not? Nah? Not really, except that it just serves as another reminder that we as consumers and customers of these companies need to be vigilant in protecting our own things like our passwords and our data. Uh, because even the most well-meaning security companies, I, I believe Google is one, not necessarily talking about privacy, but security. I, I think they're security minded and they have lapses like this. So really, it's kind of incumbent upon us to be our own advocate when it comes to protecting passwords, data, things like that. Indeed, I had a friend who found an old LastPass database in a Dropbox folder somewhere of his and said, boy, I wonder if any of these logins still work for some of my old, oh, wow, they do. Um, I need to call these people right now. So uh, never assume that password hygiene is something that people are gonna follow. Uh, if you're a big user of Salesforce, you probably know what we're going to talk about next. A change in the production release of Salesforce broke access permission settings across organizations, allowing users to have read and write access to all company files. Oops. In response, the company shut down large portions of its infrastructure on Friday with outages in the Europe and U.S. Salesforce blamed the error on a database script deployment that inadvertently gave users broader data access than intended. Hmm. Salesforce opening the organizational floodgates to everybody to make changes, that news or not? Nah. Well, when one of the largest 
Paz companies in the world has a global outage due to their own mistakes. Yeah, that, that's that's news. Uh, you know, the cloud, whether it's IS, SaaS, PaaS, whatever it be, um, is not the be all end all that some people think it was. And things like this are just a reminder that, you know, you're still kind of responsible in a large ways for your applications availability and security. Exactly. And uh, the inadvertent script causing problems bug is really more of a we screwed up bug. And I and, think companies should start owning up to that. And the, oh, crap, we have to turn everything off before it becomes an issue. And sorry, nobody can access the platform for hours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this next story is uh, sponsored by Blake Crony, friend of the show. Google announced Google Glass Enterprise Edition 2 Monday for a cool $999. The glasses look more like actual glasses with the frame coming from Smith Optics, but it still uses the same projection tech to beam images directly into your eye and therefore into your brain. Google Glass 2 model runs on the Snapdragon XR1 processor for longer battery life and supports mobile device management so they can be pre-configured for your employees that just have to have the, the hippest wearable from 2010. Um, Google Glass alive and well in the enterprise. What do you think? Is this news or not really? I think I could tell by the way you could barely hold back the laughs on this one, Tom. Is that you're going to agree with me? No. A VR, AR in the enterprise, they're not a thing yet outside of a few niche cases. I don't expect this to take off anytime soon. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Um, I, I expect Google Glass to take off the same day that Microsoft HoloLens takes over the world, meaning not anytime soon. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, it must be time for the Federal Trade Commission to start looking at people again. The FTC is expanding an antitrust probe into Broadcom. Um, looking at if the corporation uh, was hampering competition in the Wi-Fi space and in switching markets. The investigation is specifically looking at Broadcom to see if it used its markets position to force exclusive deals. The EU also has a slightly narrower investigation into Broadcom regarding sales of chips to cable box providers. Um, Market-leading chip manufacturer, particularly shady sales tactics. What do we think? Is this news or not? Um Probably not necessarily news, call me cynical, uh, that they engage in this sort of behavior, but maybe bigger news. Uh, what do you think that they got caught? I think it's more that they got caught in considering that the U.S. has also reopened an, an antitrust investigation into Qualcomm yesterday, um, who's another favorite target and a friend of the show. Uh, I think that the uh, federal government is going to start taking a much closer look at some of these things, and we may have a much bigger story about that coming up in just a few minutes. All right, mm -hmm. so it is uh, Kubicon Europe in every Doctor Who's favorite, every Doctor Who fan's favorite place in Spain, Barcelona. And we've got a couple stories here. Um, at Kubicon, Google announced an alpha release of three release channels for Kubernetes, rapid, regular, and stable. No word on whether or not they're named after Toy Story characters, but with the rapid release schedule, Google is adding support for Windows containers and GKE. News or nah? Well, the release of different channels, eh, kind of, sort of, not really. But the fact that Windows containers are within the Rapid channel is big news because obviously Kubernetes is the de facto container orchestration platform. And the fact that it's now supporting Windows containers is kind of the next step into the future of containers becoming the de facto application uh, platform uh, in the enterprise. You know, it's been VMs forever. 
containers are seeing increased uptake, particularly though more in the SaaS space where people are developing their new microservices architecture and all this whiz bang new stuff. But now when you see that you can run not only Windows, but Linux, which is what enterprise uh, customers are going to want, that's a big deal. I'm interested to see if people actually want to use Windows containers or if they're just going to keep plowing through what they've been doing for so long and, and wonder why they're following behind in their development cycles. All right. Uh, one last story from Kubicon. Microsoft announced the release of Service Mesh Interface for Kubernetes, uh, providing a generic API interface not tied to a specific implementation. That means that it allows provide it allow allowing provides providers to change Service Mesh implementations without having to rewrite apps. At launch, SMI will include APIs for policy telemetry and management for Service Mesh implementations. News or not? Nah? Nah, uh, service mesh is a growing space. It's becoming more popular. There is no clear leader yet. This is just another entry into that race. Yeah, I think that you're kind of there. Um, one more service mesh is not going to be the secret to unlocking all of the potential of the cloud at the rate we're going. I think this is just Microsoft um, finding a comfortable seat on the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. All right, Ken. Well, thank you for running down those news or not, nah, but we've got a couple of uh, more items that are going to take a little bit more discussion and unfortunately it's been a bad few days for our friends at huawei president trump has signed an executive order declaring a national emergency uh with the threat posed by the unrestricted technology acquisitions of um for, for use in the united states with information and communications technology boy that was a mouthful um, basically the order gives the department of commerce and other agencies broad powers of oversight and approval over private company transactions Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross now has 150 days to come up with enforcement details and to name any technologies or companies barred from the U.S. Although it's pretty well presumed that Huawei and some other Chinese surveillance companies are going to be the first people named on that list. Um, this doesn't have an immediate impact, but it will once the companies are named. Now, Ken, we got a little bit more detail specifically around the Huawei thing, but I want to I want to get your opinion on this. How do we feel about the U.S. federal government jumping into the fray and basically saying we have the right to name you as someone that we can impose some pretty severe restrictions on if we think that you're spying against us? I'm kind of wondering, is this unprecedented? I don't know if I've seen this before. Um, usually, you know, I would expect the U.S. government to stay out of trade issues like this unless there really was a legitimate national security concern. Um, but of course, the U.S. government has been harping on it for a long time that there is a national security concern, and that's why we're doing this. And it's not about a trade war. You know, I don't know if I believe it, but I definitely believe it's having an effect. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I've I've seen both sides of this argument. There are a lot of people who are coming down really heavily on the side of the um, opposition to the government order, saying that there's no reason why the U.S. federal government should have anything to do with this. But even those people are looking around kind of sheepishly and going, but since they did do it, Huawei's probably guilty of everything that they're being accused of, mm -hmm. of um, you know reverse engineering uh, technologies, of stealing things and uh, so on and so forth. And if you'll recall, this is kind of what happened with ZTE last year. Um, but the difference is, is that rather than them kind of beating around the bush with ZTE, they dropped the hammer on them immediately. And it was almost immediately obvious that it would be temporary once they kind of extracted some promises from ZTE. The, the issue with Huawei isn't quite settled yet. Um, and the other 
slightly large elephant in the room is why are we punishing other companies in other countries from working closely with their government agencies to enact surveillance when we are only eight years removed from finding, or no, I'm sorry, six years removed from finding out from Edward Snowden that the NSA has been doing the exact same thing here. I mean, it is kind of hypocritical for us to say, you're not allowed to install backdoors in your routing software because they might interfere with our backdoors. Yeah, more or less. If it's not good for the U.S., then we're not going to allow it. Only we can do that. We thought of it first. <laughs> they can't do that to our pledges. Only we can do that to our pledges. Yeah, exactly. So jumping back into this story, specifically focusing on the Huawei part, um, the U.S. Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security has announced that it is adding Huawei technologies to its entity list, which forces the company to obtain a U.S. government license to buy American technology, preventing companies like Google from exporting Android or U.S.-based chip makers from supplying components. The Bureau stated that Huawei was added to the list because it, and I quote, engaged in activities that are contrary to U.S. national security or foreign policy interests, end quote. Qualcomm, Arm, Intel, Broadcom, Xilinx, and others are already stopping supplier supply of products um, and technical support to Huawei. Google is cutting off Android licensing, which was announced yesterday, and access to services for new devices. They're even getting kicked out of the Google Play Store. It's unclear how this will affect rural ISPs in the U.S. that are already using Huawei infrastructure, and will they be able to to obtain replacement parts going forward. Now, I want to pause here and point out the fact that the two issues that we've talked about dovetail nicely, but they are currently ships in the night. Huawei got added to a list where essentially you have to show cause in order for you to be able to um, sell them things with the mm -hmm. understanding that they will eventually just be cut off completely. So this was the warning shot. And everyone's pointing to the big other elephant in the back of the room saying, we want you to do something to stave off being thrown out of the country immediately. What's that going to be? Whew. Uh, you know, Huawei, I, Huawei has been trying to brush off US, the U.S. campaign against it for a long time. They can't mm -hmm. do that anymore. Um, even if they we were to say, well, it doesn't matter if we're not in the U.S., we can be everywhere else. That's not the case anymore because there's so many U.S. companies that won't work with them that they need internationally. You know, Google is ending, you know, their relationship with Huawei. Guess whose phones are more the most popular worldwide? It's Google's. Do you think they want a slice of that market even outside the U.S.? Heck yeah. This is bad for Huawei. Uh, and the, yeah, they cannot just ignore it anymore. So how bad is it for Huawei? Because we, we understand that this war has been going on for quite a while between the U.S. and Huawei. But suddenly, now that things have heated up, Huawei reportedly has a three-month stockpile of chips. It's been working on Chinese replacement operating systems and silicon and still has access to the open source version of Android, maybe not the one directly from Google. Um, is this going to end up being like that temporary bargaining chip that we mentioned with ZTE where some, some transactions are going to get worked out? Or is basically Huawei going to take all of their toys and go home? and say, you know what, we're going to use all of that development process that we've been using with other Chinese companies that have been manufacturing ARM chips. Um, and I mean, the, the downside is, is that maybe they're going to lose some of the certification processes that they've already been going through. But if all they're going to do is sell into the Chinese market and don't care about the U.S. going forward, do they really care? 
They should. I mean, don't you think that they want to engage in trade outside of China? I would think they would. I think they need the U.S. as a trade partner to really truly be successful, whether they like it or not, right? So they're going to need to take some kind of action if they want to continue their rise as you know a global technology powerhouse and not just a Chinese one. Well, I think that this is this is going to be a, a developing story for a long time because with the tight integration that Huawei has with the Chinese government and also there are other global presences, for example, in Europe, where there are, according to our great producer, Rich Truffolino, they have about 17% market share of the smartphone market. What happens when the Chinese government says, oh, you're going to kick our company out? Well, guess what? You can't sell any devices in China anymore. Apple, goodbye. Google, goodbye. No more access to our markets. And maybe they do something really crazy, like no more access to Hollywood markets to release movies in China. Do you think that that would get the right people on the phone to the president and the Commerce Department and go, listen, it's got to stop? It would certainly open the phone lines to conversation, right? Because it, it does go both ways. We cannot impose any kind of ultimatum or sanction without them responding in kind. And they are a large enough economic power that we cannot ignore China in general. So if China gets behind Huawei, the Chinese government, uh, and not just the company themselves to help them fight their battle, then that is going to be a major factor. Absolutely. I think you're right. And uh, we will definitely have more about this story as it develops right here every week on the Gestalt IT Rundown. All right. So moving on to uh, another interesting technology discussion. Um, Na the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, our good friends at NOAA, um, Neil Jacobs, the head of the organization, uh, told the uh, Senate Subcommittee on the Environment that use of the 24 gigahertz frequency band and 5G service could reduce weather forecast accuracy by up to 30%, which reduces it to roughly as accurate as the weather forecasts were in the 1980s. Um, the issue is, is that water vapor emits a very faint signal at 23.8 gigahertz. And for those of you who are quick with the math at home, you'll notice that that is exactly 10 times higher than the 2.4 gigahertz that you're using at home for possibly your wireless or IoT devices. NOAA estimates that 77% data loss from its satellite's passive microwave sounders, um, which would reduce the ability to predict hurricanes by as much as two whole days. That's just one example of some of the things that they've been able to come up with so far. Senators are now calling for a suspension of use of the allocated spectrum until a workaround is found. But other online services, as they saturate their allocated spectrum, do you think that this is going to accept, that people are willing to accept worse weather forecasting so that they can get faster 5G speeds, Ken? I doubt it because the general public knows what they expect out of a weather forecast, right? They, they've been mm -hmm. used to it for years and they don't really understand what 5G is and how it's good for them. And for a large part, most consumers are not going to be necessarily using 5G immediately. Those aren't the use cases that we see, right? Uh, here's my question. Um, is this a worldwide problem? Is 5G technology ubiquitously the same standard so that everybody is using the same frequency? And also, are, is there... Um, weather prediction equipment is similar, you know, across, you know, just worldwide, basically, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm guessing it's very similar. And if that's the case, how the heck is this problem just now being addressed? How do you not notice that up until now? I mean, really, 5G roll has been slow enough that surely somewhere along the line, somebody would say, hey, wait a minute, this can, th this might cause an issue with weather forecasting. It's kind of 
a clear example of technologists often thinking they can solve the world's problem with their technology and ignore the effects it has outside the immediate problem they're trying to solve. And now it's coming to bear on 5G, which you know is slow enough to come to the US at least uh, up until now. And now it looks like it's gonna be even slower thanks to a little bit of lack of foresight uh, on, the part, uh, on the part of the companies responsible for responsible for the rollout. So, yeah, you know, it's, th this is one of the problems that we've seen not only in 5G, but also in, in Wi-Fi um, in the five gigahertz band. Uh, there are actually uh, areas that you're not allowed to use because they're restricted for government use for things like weather radars. Um, and I actually have very good experience with this because for those of you who know, I live in Oklahoma, Tornado Alley. And we, uh, the, if you uh, are not familiar with the National Weather Service. If you live anywhere in the U.S. and you have a tornado warning, it's issued in my hometown here in Norman, Oklahoma. The National Weather Center is about six miles from my house. About three miles due west of my house is the radar cluster that the Doppler radars operate on. And I've actually gone out there with a spectrum analyzer and saw where they operate. And sometimes they dip into different bands that could potentially impact wireless signal coverage. But one of the other things is getting back to this idea that the possibility exists that we're going to start losing enough data that our weather forecasts are going to backslide. I am a direct recipient of the safety concerns here because today we can pr accurately predict with 48 hours notice that there are going to be massive severe thunderstorms for those of you who don't know um when you issue a tornado watch that's basically the national severe storms lab saying that there's a potential for the for the atmosphere to be unstable today that could cause these um problems and could potentially produce a tornado um, and they typically attach a confidence level to it. When the confidence level gets high enough, they issue a different kind of watch called a potentially dangerous situation tornado watch or a PDS. It used to be we would not get PDS tornado watches until the morning of. The last PDS tornado watch was issued on Monday for my area. We had 48 hours notice that there was going to be a PDS issued, which meant that, that businesses had time to close, schools had time to turn out, the entire state was basically shut down for a day. And it saved lives because people were not caught out in storms. People were not um, somewhere they shouldn't have been when, you know, baseball-sized hail started falling out of the sky. I personally will take slightly slower phone service because the LTE that I've got is fast enough if it means I'm not going to get caught in a baseball-sized hailstorm. Right. And you're a technologist who understands these things. The typical consumer, if it just starts happening, all of a sudden I'm going to be like, what the heck? What happened? Can we touch on this hurricane thing real quick, by the way? Um, most hurricanes have a tendency to form over the ocean, not over land. Mm -hmm. And how how is that impacting 5G? Are we having a lot of 5G uh, devices out in the middle of the ocean in effect, interfering with our ability to potentially uh, forecast hurricanes? Do you understand how that works? I think it's more that the satellite bandwidth downlink is uh, being impacted, and those uh, sensors that the uh, that NOAA relies on in the coastal areas that are kind of watching things like water temperature and current strength are going to be impacted if they can't start transmitting their data. Interesting. Okay. All right. So we got one more story that I want to make sure that we get to because it's a GDR party and Microsoft's buying. Um, in a blog post recognizing the first anniversary of Europe's GDPR, Microsoft's general general Deputy General Counsel Julie Brill called on the U.S. Congress to enact similar legislation domestically. The post stated that beyond the EU, 
Brazil, China, India, Japan, South Korea, and Thailand, they've all passed their own similar privacy-focused laws. Bro called privacy with accountability and transparency a fundamental right. Is this new Microsoft from Satya Nadella doing the right thing, or does Microsoft have a competitive advantage with a more consistent national policy that they have resources that they have to comply with? Porque no los dos. Why not both, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think even as annoying as GDPR has been to consumers because they have to now agree to new privacy policies and click yes to everything before they can get to a website, by and large, people like having their privacy and their data protected. Um, so why wouldn't it be good for U.S. consumers to have this kind of regulation? And who better than Microsoft, I guess, to be our champion? But of course, it's good for Microsoft. Uh, they already have the infrastructure in place to comply with these regulations that exist in, in the EU and other countries outside there. So they have the advantage of being able to comply pretty quickly to uh, any regulations that would be extremely similar in their home nation. So they would have the advantage that other companies don't have to basically say, yes, we're GDPR compliant. Great. You can put your uh, your applications and your data in Azure. And as long as you're doing your part, you can be assured that we're doing our part. Uh, same goes for all our other cloud services and everything else we do. So congratulations. Uh, we are going to help you, our customers, comply with this new regulation as well. Aren't we great? So, yeah, yeah I, I think Microsoft is kind of on the right track here, championing GDPR. And yeah, there's probably some financial incentive to them. Um, there wouldn't be. Uh, if there wasn't, then Microsoft wouldn't care. But I think that overall, anything GDPR-like in the U.S. makes us better, if for no other reason than to make Mike or Mark Zuckerberg sweat bullets for the next six months while he tries to get it shot down. Mm -hmm. All right, so that should just about do it for this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you very much for following along. Um, after we finish this up, I hope you go out and buy yourself a nice trumpet because it is National Buy an Instrument Day. Um, Ken, after you pick up that nice recorder that you've been looking at, where can people check out some of the stuff that you've been doing? Uh, <laughs> how'd you know it was a recorder? I can't wait to, wait to learn how to play um... My heart will go on by Celine Dion. That's the first thing I'm going to do with that. But after that, I'll be posting more uh, coverage of uh, enterprise IT news on gestaltit.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Ken Nalbone. Well, and if you want to find a little bit more about me, uh, you can go over to my Twitter handle at Networking Nerd. You can follow my blog at networkingnerd.net. And I've also been publishing quite a bit of enterprise IT tech news on gestaltit.com. Just search for your favorite author, Arthur your favorite author. You're my favorite author me. too, Tom. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, you can search for me too, uh, along with your favorite author, which would be Rich Straffolino, everybody knows. Um, and you can pull up some of the information that I've got. And don't forget to tune in to us next week at 1230 Eastern Time for the Gestalt IT Rundown right here on Facebook. Make sure you click that like button, which I guess is like right down there. And that way you'll be updated and notified whenever we have a new broadcast coming your way. But for uh, myself, for Ken Nalbone, for Rich Straffolino, our what fabulous producer at the office, and everybody else at the Gestalt IT family, we are wishing all of you a super sparkly day. 